You can be seated. If you need a Bible, please raise your hand. You're going to be lost if you don't have a Bible. You got a Bible back there, big guy? You got one. My son's got a Bible. Anybody else need a Bible? Raise your hand. You need a Bible. Good. And hey, by the way, this time next Sunday, uh, we'll be at the Dead Sea. We'll be in Israel next Sunday morning. <laughs> that? Not all of us. <laughs> Those of us that are going to Israel will be, uh, will be at the Dead Sea this time next week. So keep us in your prayers. We're leaving on Tuesday, I guess it is, and flying to Israel. Dave's going, and uh, Larry's going, and, and Lisa's going, and Don and Jan are going. And we've got about 15 people. Uh, that are going with us, and we're going to have a, a glorious time and see a lot, do a lot, and bring back a lot of fun things for, for you guys, a lot of memories and things to share with you and uh, get you your appetite uh, wet so that next time uh, you'll want to go with us. We're in 2 Samuel chapter 18. <clears throat> 2 Samuel chapter 18. And again, Father, we ask that you bless our Bible study tonight. Just speak to our hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, in Hosea chapter 8, verse 7, the prophet predicts God's judgment on Israel. And he says this, They sow the wind and reap the whirlwind. In other words, the seeds of rebellion produce a disproportionate harvest. Just a few seeds of rebellion and sin can reap a bumper crop of devastation. Proverbs 22 verse 8 says it again. He who sows iniquity will reap sorrow. And both these verses apply to David. When he invited Bathsheba to his room for a few night games, he had no idea the devastation and the sadness that he was inviting into his life. Pain invaded and ransacked his heart, his home, even the entire nation. At the end of chapter 17, David is suffering the consequences. He's sleeping in Mahanaim, a city east of the Jordan River outside the borders of his kingdom. What is the king doing outside his kingdom? Why is the king an alien from his own capital? Well, his renegade son Absalom is the problem. Absalom has launched a coup d'etat to unseat David from power. You know, the name Absalom means father of peace. And yet, tragically, Absalom was one Bible character whose name did not reflect his nature. There was nothing at all peaceful about Absalom's motivations or his manners or his maneuvers. Absalom resented the mistakes and weaknesses that he saw in his father David to the point where they blinded him of his dad's many noble and godly traits. Absalom rallied together other bitter men, and they led this revolt against David. At first it was so successful that David was forced to abandon the capital city of Jerusalem. He fled across the Jordan River to Mahanaim. And in order to solidify his throne, Absalom now rallies an army. 
And his intention is to capture and kill the king. He figures that when he executes his father David, all Israel will serve him as their sovereign. Well, in chapter 18, the showdown takes place. And David numbered the people who were with him and set captains of thousands and captains of hundreds over them. Then David sent out one-third of the people under the hand of Joab, one-third under the hand of Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, Joab's brother, and one-third under the hand of Ittai, the Gittite. And the king said to the people, I also will surely go out with you myself. Now, now you remember, the marring mistake in David's life was his sin with Bathsheba. And it happened, you remember this, when he stayed at home rather than go to battle. David's not going to let that mistake happen twice. He's rallied his troops. He's divided them in thirds. He set them under generals. But he says, hey, I will surely go out with you myself. But the people answered, you shall not go out. For if we flee away, they will not care about us. Nor if half of us die, they will care about, they will care about us. But you are worth 10,000 of us now. For you are now more help to us in the city. Then the king said to them, whatever seems best to you, I will do. So the king stood beside the gate, and all the people went out by hundreds and by thousands. David gets bumped from combat. That's what happens. And he does so for three reasons. First, he was the prey that the enemy was after. The foe would fight harder if they saw King David in the battle opposing them. All they really wanted to do was capture him. The second reason he was bumped from combat is that if the people were overcome, then David was still behind to call for reinforcements. And then, of course, the third reason is his own troops doubted how hard David would fight because he was fighting against his own flesh and blood, his own son, Absalom. And here's why they questioned David's resolve. Notice this. Now the king had commanded Joab, Abishai, and Ittai, saying, Deal gently for my sake with the young man Absalom. And all the people heard when the king gave all the captains orders concerning Absalom. Deal gently are not the words that rally the troops to fight hard. This was discouraging to David's own troops. They were risking their lives in a bloody battle with Absalom's army. This was a fight to the death. And all they could hear their leader say is, Deal gently with my son Absalom. Of course, David had the heart of a true father. And despite his son's rebellion and animosity, despite the fact that Absalom had broken David's heart, he still loved his son. Charles Spurgeon wrote of David, It is a father that speaks, and a father's love can survive the enmity of a son. Isn't it interesting how a child can never quench the love of their parents? Our children can rebel. They can defy the things we love dearly, and yet they're still our children. You cannot unchild a child. They are your child. And you love them forever. And not only was this David's heart toward his son Absalom. I hope you know this is God's heart toward us. 
despite our years of rebellion, you know what God says to you? You know what God says about you? You know what he says to the angels in heaven as they oversee affairs and interact with the dealings of man? You know what God says to his troops? He says, deal gently. Deal gently with them. Deal gently with her. Oh, I know she's been rebellious, and, and I know she's, she's leading a coup d'etat, and she's risen up and rebelling against the thing, but deal gently with her. I love her. Oh, I know, I know that he's a rebel. You know, I know that, he, that he's full of animosity in him, but deal gently with him. He's still my son. I still love him. Oh, my. How God loves us. God always says deal gently. Verse 6, so the people went out into the field of battle against Israel, and the battle was in the woods of Ephraim. And the people of Israel were overthrown there before the servants of David. And a great slaughter of 20,000 took place there that day. For the battle there was scattered over the face of the whole countryside. And the woods devoured more people that day than the sword devoured. In other words, the terrain was a factor in the outcome of this battle. Men were fighting in the forested mountains. They were fighting alongside steep ledges and surrounded by caves and drop-offs. And it minimized the importance of numbers. It reduced the battle to man-on-man, face-to-face combat. And, of course, these conditions favored the more experienced men, the more experienced soldiers, the men of David. And this meant a great victory for David's army. Then Absalom met the servants of David. And Absalom rode on a mule. And why he was on a mule, I don't have a clue. Just seems strange, doesn't it? Unless he thought that somehow the mule gave him some kind of advantage in the forest. I mean, that's a possibility. Maybe the the steep terrain or whatever. He thought the mule would, would give him more stability. I'm sure it wasn't the case, but it could have been that he, the mule was a symbol of his own stubbornness. But I, I'm sure that probably wasn't part of his thinking. Absalom evidently was lost. He was cut off from his men. And he happens upon the enemy's patrol, and he decides to get get out of Dodge here. I mean, he doesn't want to fight these men on his own, and so he kicks the mule into high gear, if that's possible. And he tries to escape the encounter. Now, let's go back a few chapters. Remember 2 Samuel chapter 14, verses 25 and 26. You remember there we had a description of Absalom's appearance. I'll quote it. Now in all Israel there was no one who was praised as much as Absalom for his good looks. From the sole of his foot to the crown of his head, there was no blemish in him. And you remember the trait that made him so handsome? It was his long hair. Isn't it amazing how women love long hair? There he is right there. It's just amazing how women love long hair, especially this time of year. Here's another example. (laughs) Women go nuts over guys with long hair. It's amazing. And Absalom, he kept his hair long. As a matter of fact, he had one annual haircut a year. We're told back in chapter 14, and when he cut the hair of his head, at the end of the year, of every year, he cut it because it was heavy on him, And when he cut it, he weighed the hair on his head at 200 shekels, according to the king's standard. 
200 shekels weighed six pounds. My, oh my, that's a head of hair. Absalom obviously had this coarse, thick, bushy hair. Absalom had a fro. There he is right there. That, that's a photograph of Absalom, or, or as close as I could get. Now, his hair is the detail you need to keep in mind when we read this next line. The mule went under the thick boughs of a great terebinth tree, and his head caught in the terebinth. So he was left hanging between heaven and earth, and the mule which was under him went on. The implication is, is that his long, bushy, thick hair caught in the branches of the tree. You know, a terebinth tree is like a thick scrub. Trapp writes in his commentary, So he hung between heaven and earth as rejected by both. He literally got his hair tangled up in the tree and he couldn't get it untangled and the mule went out from under him and there he is, poor Absalom, just, just hanging around. Seriously speaking, this is a hairy ordeal. This is a hair-raising situation. Absalom literally is up in the air over this situation. I mean, you might say that he's, he's up a tree. Verse 10 tells us, Now a certain man saw it, and he told Joab, and he said, I just saw Absalom hanging in a terebinth tree. That's a strange thing, you know. This, this guy we're fighting, he's hanging around in a tree. And so Joab said to the man who told him, You just saw him? And why did you not strike him there to the ground? I would have given you ten shekels of silver and a belt. You would have been rewarded had you killed him. You just saw him? You're walking through the wood. Oh, there's Absalom. You come running back and tell us? But the man said to Joab, Though I were to receive a thousand shekels of silver in my hand, I would not raise my hand against the king's son. For in our hearing the king commanded you in Abishai and Ittai, saying, Beware lest anyone touch the young man Absalom. Oh my, this soldier had paid attention. He had heard the orders that David had given to his generals. Otherwise, I would have dealt falsely against my own life. For there is nothing hidden from the king. And you yourself would have set yourself against me. Then Joab said, I just can't stand this. I cannot linger with you. And he took three spears in his hand and he thrust them through Absalom's heart while he was still alive in the midst of the terebinth tree. And ten young men who bore Joab's armor surrounded Absalom and struck and killed him. The first man on the scene fears and respects the king. His desire is to obey his king, not slay his son. But Joab, he doesn't hesitate in the slightest. Without batting an eye, he grabs three spears and he thrusts them through Absalom's heart. And his ten men finish the job. Joab seemed to love David. He certainly supported him and was faithful to him. But it seems that long ago he had lost respect for the king. He had watched David indulge his kids and never discipline them. He knew the same would be the case even after Absalom's rebellion. David still would do something silly, invite him back perhaps, or 
you know, somehow ignore it all. And Joab just couldn't stand by and watch all this happen again. David's sons rebel, and David ignored, and David not disciplined them. He couldn't stand it. And I'm sure he rationalized in his own mind, this is a no-brainer. I'm just doing what David doesn't have the guts to do. Though you sympathize with